two years before the Civil War broke out, President Lincoln famously said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. The fact that he was quoting a proverb from Jesus Christ himself, spoken over 1,800 years prior, demonstrates the timeless truth of this expression. So, if it's true that a house or a kingdom or a nation facing intractable internal division is doomed for collapse, then how are we to understand the ever-widening ideological chasm in our nation today? And not just in the U.S., but all over the Western world, what we used to refer to as Christendom, and truly all over the world today. On many major issues, there are increasingly two opposing sides coalescing. Although our context, 21st century America, and if you're listening elsewhere, wherever you happen to be today, is new, it turns out that these two sides are not new. In fact, they're very old, and they've been in opposition to one another for centuries, in fact, for millennia, on any number of issues. And on one of those issues, the one we are going to discuss today, it deals with how we view children. So, in this episode, myself and Pastor Rafe are going to talk about what these two colliding worldviews and their competing views on children are, how they have played out in history and religion over the centuries, and how we're seeing the effects of them being actively acted out today, especially in the headlines related to the state of California and a recent bill that is being passed and the recent heroic actions of the U.S. Marshals. This is the Think Podcast. It's Worldview Wednesday, and I'm Joel. And I'm Pastor Rafe. Joel, that was a good setup today. I I, I like the uh, the quote from Abraham Lincoln. I think that's very very uh, an important quote for us to consider. And it's absolutely right. A house divided cannot stand. And that's exactly what we're seeing. Not just on this topic, by the way, but I think that quote um, is kind of the heartbeat behind a lot of what you and I do when we do worldview analysis. What we're trying to show is the inconsistency in non-Christian worldviews. And uh, on this topic in particular, I think what we're going to show today is exactly that. A house divided cannot stand. When the same worldview is arguing for two opposite ends at the same time, it ultimately is conflicting with itself and it falls. And so, great quote. Good find for the morning. Yeah, yeah, thanks, man. Um, so, let's go ahead and get into it. Uh, the, the, the point we have to talk about today is not so much the ever-widening ideological chasm, itself, but really the implications of it. Although at some point, we do need to talk about the state of our nation and uh, and the ever-widening division. But specifically today, something was in the news that really caught my attention, and it got me thinking about the implications of worldview for how we view our society's youngest members, our families, our household's youngest members. And we're talking, of course, about children. And what started to um, sort of solidify in my mind as I considered today's topic is there really are ultimately two worldviews in the world. And that's really always been the case. I'm certainly not the first person to articulate this. Uh, Peter Jones of Truth Exchange, uh, who's a fantastic thinker, he talks about this um, there, there have been many other thinkers who talk about how they're real. I think Francis Schaeffer got into this. There are really just two worldviews. There's the godly worldview, the, the biblical worldview, 
And then there's the godless worldview, the pagan worldview, the worldly worldview, which excludes God as much as it can out of the picture, at least the biblical God, the true God, the triune mm -hmm. God. And then having excluded God, who is ultimately necessary for making sense out of the world in any coherent way, now tries to go back and piece together the world and, and a view of the world sans God, without God, and to try to, um, to bring all the various pieces of the world together into some sort of coherent mosaic, into some sort of coherent platform so that we can function in the world. And the problem is once you take God out of the picture, God is the glue that holds everything together as well as the, the, the foundation upon which the house stands. So when you, when you take away the glue or you take away the foundation, whichever metaphor you prefer, uh, you, you're not going to be left with much of a house. You're not going to be left with much of a, a mosaic. You're just going to have a bunch of scattered tiles. And so our view of children in society is, is ultimately is, um, one of those aspects of the world we need a coherent view of but what we're going to see is one worldview can make sense of children in a way that speaks to our our better judgment in a way that values them and and uh views them in all the ways that we we believe that we ought to mm -hmm. and the other worldview is going to ultimately collapse and do the exact opposite it's going to collapse in on itself so right. what are your thoughts rafe as we get ready to tackle this issue well, as we kick off, look, I'm a, <clears throat> I'm a child of God. I'm a dad. I got my three of my own girls, and I'm a pastor. And I think one of the things I bring to this particular show with you, Joel, is just thinking through some of this stuff as a pastor and what that means for, for my church and my flock. Uh, when we talk about kids, the, the work of training parents how to raise kids, how to cherish kids, what children are, they're a gift from the Lord, their responsibility from the Lord. There's a responsibility assigned to parents from the Lord of how to steward those children, how to disciple those children, how to train those children. The Bible has tons of instructions on how to care for children. In fact, the book of Proverbs, a lot of folks don't realize this, the book of Proverbs is written to a young child who's becoming a man. I mean, most of the Proverbs are, are, are general wisdom instructions from an older man to a younger man who's developing into a man on how to live life. What are the pitfalls to avoid? What are the, what are the mistakes to make sure he doesn't make? Because there's wisdom from the generations who have gone before you and from God, who's the source of all wisdom. And so the Bible is full of instruction on how to care for children. Um, yeah. And most noticeably, you know, you look at Jesus and Jesus very regularly uh, said, bring, let the children stay with me. Jesus had a, an unbelievable passion for kids. And I believe that that's exactly how Christians should be. We should have a passion for kids. We should have a love of children. And what's really interesting about it is most of the modern world on paper, most of the modern world, I'll say most of the modern Western world on paper agrees with that statement. We should love our children. We should care for our children. Now, we're going to disagree on what loving our children means. We're going to disagree on what it means to care for our children and to educate our children. But in the general sense of cherishing and loving and, 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 um, and trying to get the best for our children, most of the modern Western world will agree with that. What's interesting is that what we're going to uncover today is that is a Christian worldview thing. Not all worldviews historically or even today agree on that premise. But to say that that's something that you love, to say that you want to invest in your kids and you got a plan for your kids and, and you want the best for them, Christianity gave the world that. 
And, uh, and I think hopefully if we can unpack that, that's why I want to help people see the consistency of the Christian worldview to living out the virtues and the, and the morals that we really believe are true in, in a modern Western world, which is largely right. framed by Christianity, which gave us those virtues. Yeah. So that's my, my setup, my pastoral setup for the day. That's, that's, that's good, man. And now you just triggered a lot of people when you, when you said that, because the idea that our modern post-enlightenment view of children is a somehow a product of Christendom or Christian civilization or the Christian worldview, that is... Uh, that is not accepted by everyone, but a little digging actually uh, reveals that to be exactly the case. So I'm going to pull something up here. Now, there was five years ago, there was an article on the website called The Week, and it was by a guy named Pascal Emmanuel Gobri. And uh, what Gobri says, he, the, the title of the article is really fascinating. It's called How Christianity Invented Children. How Christianity Invented Children. Now, I want to pull this up. So if you're watching on, um, if you're watching live right now, you can see this. How Christianity Invented Children by Pascal Emmanuel Gobri. And he, he starts out his article by saying this. We have forgotten just how deep a cultural revolution Christianity wrought. In fact, we forget about it precisely because of how deep it was. There are many ideas that we simply take for granted as natural and obvious when in fact they didn't exist until the arrival of Christianity changed things completely. Take, for instance, the idea of children. The idea of children, according to Gobri, is a result of the biblical worldview being played out in real time, working its way through society, through largely the Western world, but really wherever Christianity thrived and flourished, and what he's going to do in that article, which I highly recommend you go check it out. You can, it, it's um, it's from theweek.com. If you could just, just do a Google search on uh, how Christianity invented children. But what he does a brilliant job of in this article is he goes back to the, the pagan world. And I'm talking like the actual pagan world, ancient Rome, where children were not even seen as persons. As a matter of fact, what Gobri says is societies in those days were structured as they were viewed as a series of concentric circles. Okay, so, so think about a target. Now, in the center of the circle, you've got freeborn uh, men, really freeborn adult males. And then working your way out, from that center, so they're they're the most important in those ancient pagan societies. Um, the value of other persons, according to Gobri, he says, "quote were were valued depending on how similar they were to the freeborn adult male." Such was the lot of foreigners, slaves, women, and children. And so, as you get further out from the center, kids are not in the middle because they're not adults. Uh, young girls, especially, were not in the middle because they were not males and they were not adults. And so, they'd be out somewhere near the edge of the circle. Now, why that's significant and, and why that sounds so strange is because we don't live in a society like that today. And we can be very, very grateful for that. But the question Gobri asks is, why don't we live in that kind of society? When did that change? If that was the universally accepted view of the ancient world, and he, he talks about Rome and, and uh, pagan societies, but 
Of course, it wasn't just Rome. It was other pagan societies, which we're going to talk about. But if that was the universally accepted view, really worldwide, when did things change so that children were valued? Like, like what you were talking about. And the roots of it really go back, not even to the Christian era, but to the pre-Christian Hebraic era or the, the Judaic era that we read about in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God presents a view of children and a view of families that flies in direct opposition to the prevailing view among the pagans. And really, it's in Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, you know, those books of the Bible that everyone views as being so oppressive and so, um, so uh, uh, you know, uh, tyrannical, right? You actually read them and you're like, what you discover is, oh, no, th there's actually a lot of liberation in these passages. But it's in those books that we get the dichotomy between the biblical worldview and the pagan worldview. And it's seen at first in stark contrast between the Hebrews and the evil Canaanites. So you, right. you want to you talk about that? Uh, sure. And I don't, I don't know if I'm going in exactly the exact direction you're going to go in with this, uh, thinking about those particular books. But I, I can tell you, it only takes a surface level reading of the Mosaic Law to understand that God holds the child, God, God holds all human beings with the same dignity and the same value. I just wrote a post uh, this last week on my blog about abortion, and one of the most uh, one of the most regular arguments I have when I get into conversations about abortion with folks is I'll, they'll say to me, the Bible doesn't say anything on the topic of abortion. Well, what I love to do with them is I love to just kind of systematically walk through what the Bible <laughs> actually says on the topic. And one of the more telling, uh, more clear verses on the topic is actually right in Exodus 21, which is right towards the beginning of the Mosaic Law. Uh, where God gives a penalty. And what do you? What happens if you harm a child in the womb? Well, it's the same thing as if you harmed a person outside of the womb. Yeah. You, it's eye for eye, tooth for tooth, life for life. Mm -hmm. And so all throughout the Mosaic Code, uh, what we find is, is that God's law is very unique from the pagan law of the nations around them. The pagans around them were very, very regularly sacrificing their children. In fact, that's one of the, the key sins of the Canaanites. Um, they, they were regularly sacrificing children to gods like Molech, to gods like Baal, that demanded child sacrifice from them. Right. And throughout the Old Testament law, God's people, as they were encountering these other people groups, these other nations, and what, what God was saying in his law was, don't ever let that be true of you. And, and if you let that happen in your, if there's, there's punishment, if that happens yep. among people of God, why? Because the people of God are meant to be a light to the nations. What ought to happen, says the book of Deuteronomy, is that when the nations look in on you and the purity of your law and how you treat each other with the dignity of every human life, including children, it's all the same. They all have dignity. Whatever your race, whatever your color, whatever your age, whatever your level of development, same amount of dignity. When the nations look in on you, they will say, surely there is a great God in Israel. And it'll be a it'll be a witness. It'll be a testimony to uh, the God they serve. Yeah. So that's exactly what happened. Now here here's something people don't realize. One of the common apologetics conversations I get in is, well, why did in the Old Testament? I'm going off track a little bit here, Joel. So I'll, oh. I won't go too long in this rabbit trail. No, this but is. But why did God allow the Israelites or the uh, the Israelites as they were wandering through the desert to conquer 
those enemy nations? Why did he allow them? And oftentimes the word that's used is um, genocide, to commit genocide. Now, I don't know if the word genocide is the appropriate word there. Uh, but why did he allow them to basically destroy some of those surrounding nations? <clears throat> Here's something you got to think about. For, for generations, those cultures were sacrificing live children on altars. Mm -hmm. Now, I want you to think about the pain of people in that in that culture. Imagine for a moment if for generation after generation, child sacrifice, child sacrifice, child mm -hmm. sacrifice. And all the while, if there was a godly person in there, they'd be crying out to God, God, when are you gonna bring justice for this? And then God's people show up who are who are carrying the light of Christ, God's holy law, and they look in and they say, Okay, that that's right. All people are worthy of dignity. And they come in and they set justice right. When you look at it from the perspective of the sufferer, it makes a lot of sense what, what God did during those passages. That's a bit of a rabbit trail, and it's helpful yeah. to think through that on that end. However, I think where you're going with this is God's law from start to finish, God's desire from start to finish, is that everyone's worthy of dignity and respect. And the pagan nations didn't have that, and Rome especially, which was, was kind of the culture at the time when Christianity kind of took hold, right? Rome was the larger culture. Obviously, it was birthed out of Judaism. Oh, yeah. Um, Rome had just picked up on many of the pagan practices. Yeah. They, they, were, they had a fundamentally different idea of justice. They had a fundamentally different idea of dignity of life, of value of life, than we do today. And so when we look back on Rome in the first century, and we think, well, surely they understood what justice means. They had a very different idea of justice. It, it, it did justice to them did not mean what it means to the Christian. It means that now because of what Christians added to the world. <clears throat> Sorry if I took you in a different direction there, Joel. No, no, man. It's 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 very helpful. And I gotta tell you, so um for those of you who are watching, you saw as Rafe was talking, I put up on the screen a picture, just a drawing of what that child sacrifice to Moloch may have looked like and it wasn't graphic it wasn't um didn't didn't show anything uh terribly violent other than the actual act of the sacrifice itself the the in the picture it's a, a parent offering a child really an infant up to this idol right and you get the you get the picture of what's about to happen next um is going to be very gruesome it's going to be very um heart-wrenching and there's a reason why Christians and non-Christians today look at that and say, that is terrible. That is horrible. And that, that is because of the fact that we're living in a society, Rafe, and I know, I know you'd agree with this, we're living in a society that has been shaped for, um, well, for, for the duration of American history. But, you know, don't forget America has roots in England, which was evangelized going back to the, the early years, the early centuries of the Christian era. I mean, we're going yeah. back to, you know, 300, 400 AD, maybe earlier. And so Christianity runs very, 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 very deeply in our particular stream of history. Now, that's a long time for these expectations to kick in. Mm -hmm. And so we hear about the Romans abandoning their children, their unwanted children in mm -hmm. the forest. And we, we say, how could they do that? We hear about the Canaanites sacrificing their children. 
And we say, how could, how could they possibly do that? We look, even the objection that you mentioned, Rafe, well, how could God, uh, call for the, the killing of, of, um, whole nations, you know, and, and we, part of it, part of us wretches at that because we think, well, were there, were there children involved in that? Hmm. And and even the question itself shows the influence that 2,000 years of Christianity has had on our thinking because we value children. And wherever you value, wherever you have the biblical worldview, you're going you're gonna to have children being valued. Now, what happens is when you start to abandon the biblical worldview, you end up with the devaluation of children. And when when you have a culture that is divided against itself where some members hold to the biblical worldview and others are abandoning it as fast as they can you're going to end up with the current dichotomy the current division and clash the current ideological chasm that we're facing now and we we have been able to see that play out actually this very week in two particular instances so let's talk about that the first one is this Let's talk about the California bill, um, and, and we're talking about Senate Bill 145 in California. Now, this was authored by LGBT caucus chair Senator Scott Weiner from San Francisco. And Senator Weiner introduced this bill that, uh, here, here's what it does, in the name of equity, it changes the requirement of judges and, and how they have to act in certain situations. So I, I heard Al Mohler talk about this on the briefing this morning. Al Mohler, Al Mohler, the president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, he's got a great podcast called The Briefing. He alerted me to this this morning. But basically what the bill does is this. Um, it makes It gives judges discretion over whether or not they want to put uh, certain people onto the sex offenders registry. Now, the the people in question here are uh, homosexual offenders who are um, up to who who commit homosexual acts with children as young as fourteen, who are up to the the offenders are up to ten years older than the than the child. So in the most extreme case, we're talking about 24-year-olds and 14-year-olds. Now, I'm, 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 I'm giving you details here that I wish I never would ever have to give on this program, okay? Um, but this is what's going on. This is what is actually becoming pu public policy in California as we speak, as we speak right now. Now, in the past, well, here, I'll just say this. The reason why this bill is being passed right now is this. A a heterosexual offender, so let's say a female teacher who's 24 and a student as young as 14. Um, right now, if they were to copulate, come together in an intimate way, you understand what I'm talking about. Uh, the judge would have discretion on whether or not to put her name on the um, sex offenders list. Same thing, you could switch the genders if it's a male and a female, it doesn't matter according to this law. But if it's a homosexual union, so a young man and a boy, or, or yeah, a man and a boy, woman and a girl, remember, we're talking about 14-year-olds here, yeah. then uh, the judge 
would be required to put the offender on the sex offender registry. What this bill does is it removes that requirement and gives more discretion to the judge to make that decision. Now, this bill is being lauded among the LGBTQ community in California as a great leap forward for equity for homosexual persons. But really think about what's being entailed here and, and being codified into law. The reason why this is being celebrated is because now a 24-year-old homosexual man can co copulate, copulate with a 14-year-old boy. And, um, and the objection, of course, has been raised here that it, it, it really is hard to see how that could ever be seen as consensual. A 10-year gap. 10 years younger than 14 is four years old. So that's, you want to talk about an age gap. That's the age gap we're talking about. Between 14 and 24. Um, but that 24-year-old will no longer have to go onto the sex offender's registry there in California. It'll be up to the judge. Now, you might say that's a small thing. That's a technical point of law. But if it's really that small of a thing, if it's really a, just a, a technicality, then it wouldn't be celebrated as vigorously as it's being celebrated right now among the LGBTQ community. They understand that this is a significant um, leap forward. Now, the reason why I bring this up is that law, we don't have to dwell on it, but the law, what it does it essentially devalues children. It puts children more in harm's way by lessening in some way, uh, uh, according to the law, lessening the penalty and the protections associated with homosexual pedophilia. See, if you really wanted to pursue equity, what you should have said was, California legislatures, uh, legislators, what you should have said is, no, we're going to, regardless of homosexual or heterosexual, we're going to put them both on the on the of sex offender registry, because that's going to protect our kids more. But instead of moving in the direction of protecting our kids, they moved in the direction of quote unquote equity, which actually ends up putting our kids at risk. So what is this a reflection of? What I would stipulate and I, I would submit that this is a reflection of that old pagan worldview rearing its ugly head in modern society codified into law. It's, it's the devaluation of children of ancient Canaan, of ancient Rome, of ancient Greece, which we didn't even talk about, the depravity of yeah. ancient Greece and how they treated young boys in ancient Greece. But it's the same depravity, the pre-Christian and now post-Christian depravity of a pagan world, a pagan worldview. And, and it's being worked out. And it always, always, always results in the devaluation and the placing of children in harm's way. We haven't even gotten into all the New Testament verses that talk about how Jesus values children and, and, and how that worked out. We didn't even talk about the teaching of the early church, which prohibited abortion. We didn't even talk about the early church yet. But suffice it to say, we are watching paganism coming back in full force in our society. And the inevitable result of that is a devaluation and a placing of children in harm's way. It's the same old story being acted out today. Yeah, and, and just to put a couple uh, words to that, Joel. First of all, I can barely hear you. Uh, not physically, I can hear you, but I, I can barely hear you and, and keep processing as I'm thinking about these news articles. Uh, for the Christian, there ought to be a deep sense of lament 
that an American institution is moving forward with laws like this. Uh, this is a disgusting turn of events, but it's not surprising, uh, but it's a disgusting turn of events. Uh, I think secondly, what's what's unfortunate here and what people need to realize, you're, you're referencing it, but I want people to know in Roman culture in the days of Jesus, uh, what is being described between a 24-year-old man and a 14-year-old boy um, was commonplace in Roman atheistic, polytheistic, non-Christocentric culture. So among the Roman days, it was considered virtuous for a man who was married to have any number of uh, women on the side or even young boys. That was a very common thing, that there would be relations with young boys. In fact, young boys, part of their part of a lot of the young boys' role, that was that, to satisfy men in the culture. There were some philosophers and some schools of philosophy that looked down on that, but none of them really outright condemned it. It was somewhat normal place. In fact, it was often seen as a virtuous. What you're describing right now is exactly right. It's a return to an atheistic worldview. This is where you get when you don't have Christianity holding the moral fabric of the society together. Um, and so thank you for that, Joel. Thank you in a disgusting way. Thank you for sharing that uh, that news story. What's the other story? Now share share the second story with us so we can see the dichotomy bro. here. Bro, now, now, now let's get to some good news. Yeah. Because what we're talking about is a clash of worldviews. This is not a tirade simply about the downfall of Western civilization. That is not where we're going with this. Now, is Western civilization on the decline? Uh, well, <laughs> it depends on who you ask. It depends on who you ask. I'll say this. At the moment, it's hanging on by a thread. It's yes. hanging on by a thread. But I will tell you, in the long run, it's going for glory. That's where Amen. we're headed. That's where we're headed. Amen. Listen, I agree with you on that. Um, you know, I agree with you on that. That's I why I, I'm, I'm putting, I'm putting the optimistic and optimistic ah mill over here, which makes um, you post mill just so you know, but go ahead. Bite your tongue. <laughs> bite your tongue. Come on, get to the good story. Any good. Here's news. the good story. Here's the good story. Here's where we're getting at. This is not a tirade about the downfall of Western civilization. Instead, it is an exposition and an examination of two worldviews. Let's talk about the other worldview. The other worldview happens to be the biblical worldview. Now, the other worldview doesn't view children as uh, simply existing for the convenience of adults. Okay, it doesn't. Uh, which, by the way, that's the pro-abortion, uh, the pro-abort view. No, 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 no. This other worldview says things like this: train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Proverbs twenty-two six. Or this worldview says this: fathers do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Or a verse that you mentioned earlier, uh, that was Ephesians 6, 4. Rafe, you mentioned Psalm 127, 3 through 5. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. See, Rafe, this worldview views children as a heritage, as a blessing. According to this worldview, children are wealth. They're even they're 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 worth more than silver or gold. They are priceless. And it's this worldview that has um according to that article that we talked about earlier, this is the worldview that gave rise to childhood 
as a meaningful concept, as a meaningful cultural reality. This is the worldview that says children are to be protected and defended. Now, what happens when the worldview of paganism, the godless worldview, and the worldview of biblical Christianity clash? Here's what you get. You get children who are put in danger on the one hand, but who are rescued through heroic actions of brave men and women on the other hand. Now, in the last few weeks, we have gotten to read some spectacular stories. And I don't have this one pulled up, but let me give you one example. There was one example with, oh, maybe I do have it. Let's see. Um, here, U.S. Marshals. Now, this is coming from discern.com. This is an article by Peter Heck. And here's what it says. U.S. Marshals. These stories went way under the radar, just so you know. I mean, th this was barely heard of in the last few weeks. Yeah. But this should have been front page news for a, a handful of weeks straight. Yes, yes. Um, did you hear about anything on the uh, on the mainstream news sources about this? No, it was all during it was right this all happened right around the week of the Republican convention. And so I think that there was very little news brought to it because it was a celebration of really good police work, which, you know, for whatever political reason it wasn't being aired across mainstream media. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, celebrating police is not popular with the with right. with one one half of the society. Probably a little bit less. Probably probably actually a lot less. But they're the ones who have all the megaphones, so it seems like more. Um, but hey, we've got a megaphone, so let's put let's uh, let's highlight some of the the beauty here. And Rafe, um, if you don't mind, man, I'm getting some background noise, and I'm hearing the 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 blessed uh, fruit of of your family there. If you don't mind muting, thanks, brother. Um, check this out. U.S. Marshals rescue eight highly endangered children in Indiana. Isn't this amazing? This is from oh, September praise 9th. God. This is from September 9th. This is this is very very good news. And um, this happened on September 9th. But there's more. Okay. So you've got children who are highly endangered. You've got children who are being rescued by U.S. Marshals. Now these U.S. Marshals, I don't know if they're Christians. I've no clue. But what I do know is they're operating as, as though they're operating on biblical principles, which say children are valuable and worthy of being protected. Here's, an, here's this, another article from Brian Brammer, also from Discern. NC Operation, North Carolina Operation, leads to the rescue of eight children from sexual abuse, 23 arrests. Praise God, 23 arrests. See, this is, this is the, um, the, clash of these different worldviews. One worldview says we can use kids however we want. The other worldview says, no, you can't. We're going to stop you. We're going to arrest you. We're going to penalize you. And uh, we're going to lock you up because you don't treat kids that way. And that's the godly biblical worldview, man. Now, look, this is this is unreal. I mean, and, and can we just throw oh, into it? I know we, we gave lip service to it just a moment ago. The fact that there was hesitation for any reason... It, yeah. do, it does not matter what the reason was. The fact that there was any hesitation to make this headline, front page, victorious, everyone throw a party news is beyond my mind. The fact that there was anything else to report on for, on the front page of any right. news the day that there were, what was that one article? Was it 35 or 29 children Bro, in Georgia? Bro, right here. Keep going. I'm going to pull it up. I think it was 39 children in, in Georgia in a one-week span. Look at, Look at this. 39 missing children during Operation Not Forgotten in Georgia. 
you you need to understand what this is. Th th these are these are children. I my, my children are just around the corner over here, so I'm going to be careful on what I say. I don't even want them to get the idea right. of what this is about. Th this is to every Christian. We ought to say yes and amen. This amen. is the the sword of government, Romans chapter thirteen, yes. bringing justice to the evildoer and rescuing the children and prioritizing the safety of children. That's the Christian worldview. Christianity gave us that worldview, mm -hmm. and the fact that we hesitated to celebrate it is a sad uh, a sad reminder of uh, how political our current world is that we can't even celebrate this well. Well, you know something, Rafe? Politics is, Aristotle talked about politics as the science for, science concerning what's good for society. Um, it, but whenever you're dealing with, with what's good and what's evil and you're trying to implement those ideas on society, you're inevitably going to get into a clash of power interests. That's, this is where political parties come from. It's the jockeying for power. And so if one party or the other views it as uh, disadvantageous to their quest for greater power to report on something, even if it's good news, well, they're not going to report on it. But you and I, operating out of the biblical worldview, we can look at these stories and we can say, hallelujah, praise the Lord. That's what I'm talking about. And that that. Um, that kind of rescue, think about how these kids' lives are going to be radically transformed and their futures are going to be secured. Not that uh, not that this world is ever fully secure, although our eternity can be secure in Christ, because of what happened to them. So the culmination of the biblical worldview says this, look, children are important because human beings are important and we're made in the image of God. Now, we matter because God says we matter. And look, the graphic on the screen says now for some good news. I'm going to keep riding this out real quick. In the next 20 seconds, I'm just going to explain the best news in the world. The best news in the world is this. You and I and children were created with inherent dignity by our loving God. And yet, if we search our own souls, whatever our sin and depravity may have been, we've got it. We, we might not have the same sin and depravity as the, the villains in these stories, but we've got our own. And God looked down on us and said this, I created these people. They're my creatures. And I, I, can, uh, I can punish them for their sin or I can save them. And what Jesus, what God did was he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, his son, whom he loved more than we even love our own children. And he had Jesus die on the cross to save us and our children. And so this is why, oh, this is, this is perfect. Right? Rafe's. Ray's pulling his, his daughter onto his lap, or he did for a minute. Um, God sent his son so that we and our children could be saved through faith, through repentance mm -hmm. and faith in him. And so this is why the apostles told the Jewish people there in Acts, he said, this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. And so the invitation for us to repent and trust in Jesus Christ stands today. And if we will heed that call, God will forgive us for all of our depravity, for all of our sin, whatever you've committed, and he will make us children of God. And we know how God feels about children. He loves children. And so becoming a That's child a of word, God, Joel. it's a pretty good proposition. That's a good word. Joel, you know, I want to I want to wrap up here and, and kind of summarize some things that we discovered today. First of all, we made a few points. Number one, when Christianity came on the world, it came with a fundamentally um, 
different worldview rooted in the Judaic worldview. The, the origin of cherishing children came through the Hebrew scriptures, God's Mosaic law, which stood apart from the other nations. But when, when Christianity blew up in, out of the Roman Empire, uh, into the Roman Empire, it brought with it a entirely what was considered a new ethic into that Roman culture. That's right. And it tore down the old way and it replaced it with the new Christian way. So the idea of cherishing children comes from that Judeo-Christian worldview, which is rooted in God's law and God's, uh, God's vision for the dignity of life of all human beings. What we're watching right now and, we, and, and I think what was so helpful in today's episode is pulling out two what might be articles, frankly, that most people missed. Mm. And just saying, if you are watching what happens to a, a society who de-roots who de themselves mm -hmm. from the God of the Bible, they, they, they end up going in conflicting directions. On the one hand, we're, we're celebrating laws that... Uh, use children <laughs> and on the other hand we're celebrating saving children from people who are using them and you end up getting in this conflict and if you're if you're astute and you're watching and you're reading the news and you're thinking through a biblical lens you're going to read that every single day on the morning news you're going to watch it every single day as a godless world's trying to figure out how do you how do you form uh, a path that's cogent and cohesive in any sense it's only the christian worldview that gives you that amen so, thanks for, uh, thanks for hosting this conversation, Joel, as always. Thank you, bro. Connect with Rafe and get more excellent content by going to rafechenery.com, R-A-E-F-C-H-E-N-E-R-Y.com. And you can read that blog article he had, uh, he, that he wrote about abortion and, and, uh, and, and, and life and why it's important. Connect with the Think Institute by going to thethink.institute. Get our whole back catalog of episodes by going to thethink.institute slash podcast. Now, I want to let you guys know, if you don't know already, that I am going to be at the Fight, Laugh, Feast conference in Nashville, Tennessee on October 1st through the 3rd. We'll have a booth set up there and a special lunch event where you can find out more about our ministry. Uh, we'll have a raffle and some other prizes and things like that down there as well. But if you're going down to that conference, be sure to stop by our booth and register for our lunch, which we're having on the second day. I want to say that that's, that's Friday. We're going to have the lunch. Uh, it is, yes, Friday. Also wanted to let you know we're going to be at the Cruciform 2020 Conference on Holiness, which is taking place October 23rd and 24th, 2020. I'll be teaching a breakout session down there on apologetics and holiness. Uh, the official title is yet TBD, but um, you'll want to check that out if you're going down to the Cruciform Conference uh, and look for us there as well. And of course, you can always connect with um, the Think Institute on social media. And look, this is not goodbye. This has just been a little pit stop along the way of your spiritual journey. So until next time, I uh, hope it made you think. But before you go, wait a minute. No, you know what? I'm not even going to do. Rafe, I'm going to add the music in on post-production. Just <laughs> just pretend you can hear it. I hear it. It's, it's, it's the same. All right, brother. Thanks, everybody. Goodbye.